And this morning we'll be looking at Jonah chapter 1 verse 17 through chapter 2 verse 7. And so Jonah 1 verse 17 to 2 verse 7. Listen now to the reading of God's holy word. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the fish's belly. And he said, I cried out to the Lord because of my affliction. And he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice. For you cast me into the deep, and to the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your billows and your waves passed over me. Then I said, I have been cast out of your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple." Waters surrounded me, even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. The earth with its bars closed behind me forever. Yet you have brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you. And to your holy temple. Let's seek the Lord's blessing on this, His holy word. <clears throat> oh, gracious God and heavenly Father, we again praise you and thank you for your word. We know that it is our only infallible rule for faith and life. And as we come to this passage this morning, we pray that you would, by the power of your spirit, give us understanding and insight. That we might see and hear the truth that is here to be challenged, to be encouraged, to be built up that we might be faithful witnesses for your glory. And so we pray, Father, for your blessing upon your word, that as it goes forth in the power of the Spirit, we pray that it would truly find within each and every one of our hearts that rich, fertile soil that brings about great and abundant fruit for your glory. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. <clears throat> It's feared by everyone. It's feared by everyone because it comes to everyone. And there's absolutely nothing anyone can do to prevent it. People will spend all kinds of money and they'll try a variety of things. It's all in vain. Because death is God's curse placed on mankind because of our sin. The Apostle Paul reminds us in Romans 5 saying, Therefore just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. We all have sinned, and we all fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin we know is death, and it's been appointed for man to die once, and then comes the judgment. There is no escaping God's just curse for sin. On a passage this morning, Jonah recounts his descent to the bottom of the sea, which as we'll see, is really a picture of death. And yet it's at the bottom of the sea 
that the Lord miraculously saves Jonah, sparing him from the just judgment and curse that he deserved. And it's this deliverance of Jonah that becomes for us a a great source of hope and encouragement as it points toward not only our own deliverance from the curse of sin, but also points us toward the one who endured that curse for us and secured for us the victory over Satan, sin, and even death itself. Indeed, Jonah becomes a sign For the salvation that Jesus Christ accomplished for us, even as He plunged to the depths of death, only to rise again from the dead on the third day to the glory and praise of God. But let's take a few steps back and kind of recap Jonah's path and and why he's descending to the bottom of the sea. Remember, Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. And he ministered primarily in the northern kingdom of Israel at a time when Israel was rebelling against the Lord God. They were turning to idols. They were turning and worshiping the false gods of the surrounding nations. And they were being consumed with immorality and sin that wasn't even named among those heathen nations. It was no easy time to be a prophet of the Lord. But the Lord gave Jonah a message of hope and encouragement to this rebellious people that demonstrated God's abounding grace and mercy toward the undeserving. Remember in 2 Kings 14, Jonah prophesied that Israel would regain borders that had been lost in previous generations. And this was indeed accomplished through King Jeroboam II even though King Jeroboam was one of the most wicked kings of Israel. The lesson learned there is that though Israel was in rebellion and continued to sin against God, God remained faithful to the covenant promises that He had made to His people. But then the word of the Lord came to Jonah again with a very different mission. Which brings us, of course, then to the book of Jonah. Jonah was to go and proclaim God's word to the wicked city of Nineveh, uh, the chief city of Assyria, which at the time was the, the, the main oppressor and enemy of God's people. And Jonah again had seen firsthand God's mercy extended to, these, uh, to, to wicked Israel. But Jonah wanted no part in seeing God's mercy extended to these wicked foreigners. And so Jonah disobeyed God and he ran from the presence of the Lord. God had told him back in chapter 1 verse 2, Arise and go to Nineveh. And instead Jonah went down to Joppa. And then he found a ship that which was headed to Tarshish, A place that was as far away from Nineveh as he could possibly get at the time. And then once on the ship, he went down into the lowest parts of the ship. This repeated imagery of down, down reminds us of the downward spiral 
of sin. That is how sin pulls us down in our lives and becomes a heavy weight upon us. And indeed, if we persist, that weight becomes heavier and heavier and it presses down on us more and more, potentially crushing us into oblivion. The imagery, if you think about it, is strong enough when considered on the land. But in chapter 2 here, as Jonah recounts what happened to him after being tossed into the sea by the sailors, this downwards trend becomes much more dramatic. Again, it begins that he went down to Joppa. Then he went down to the lowest parts of the ship. Then he went down into the sea. And first, at first, he was on the surface among the billowing waves, but then down beneath him as these waves relentlessly crashed over his head. And then he went down into the deep, down into the heart of the sea, down uh, to the, the bottom, where the seaweed wrapped around him like chains, pulling him down even further, down to the moorings or the foundations of the mountains. Down into the very pit of the earth, and yes, even down into the deepest part of the belly of the great fish. Down, down, down. Friends, if it wasn't clear to you before, it ought to be so now. Sin pulls you down. Once exalted... As the unique creature created in the image of God and given the high honor to have dominion over the earth. And yet sin pulls us down from that honor, making us its slaves. Given the gift of a helper suitable to fulfill the task that God created us for, uh, created us for. And sin yet pulls us down, bringing a shame, a pain, grief, sorrow, and conflict and strife into our marriages, into our families, and into all of our relationships. And yet even as those graciously redeemed By the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because there's this remnant of the sin nature that remains in us. That wars against our spirit each and every day. And we all know that struggle very well. Sin brings us down. Disrupting the unity and the fellowship of believers. And giving the world reason to blaspheme our God. Because of our hypocrisy. And for a time. Even driving us away from the warmth of God's loving presence. Exposing us to His displeasure and His discipline. Which we know, though is done out of His great love for us, we also know that His discipline is never a pleasant thing to experience, as certainly Jonah is here to testify. This is the purpose of sin. To disrupt, to harm to inflict suffering, and, and ultimately to bring us down to destruction and ruin. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 5 warns that Satan, our adversary, lays his temptations before us. He walks around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. And especially he has the people of God in sight. He wants to bring us down and to destroy us, even to the point of death. Now the irony in all this for Jonah is that this is exactly what Jonah wanted. 
Jonah wanted to forsake his calling as the Lord's prophet. He wanted to do what pleased him. He wanted to flee from the presence of the Lord, even from his homeland, even from his family, and all the people of God. Indeed, he wanted death. As he told the sailors on the ship to toss him into the sea, because for Jonah, death was to be preferred than proclaiming the gospel of God's word to the people of Nineveh. Friends, this too was a great warning. For if you would set, so set your heart on sin and rebellion against God, that He may indeed just allow you to have exactly what you want as He gives you over to sin and depravity. But know this, the brief moment of pleasure that you seek in sin is just that. A brief moment. But the Lord will allow the full effects of sin to continue on all around you, including the suffering, the grief, the sorrow, the pain, and this destruction that sin brings. And perhaps even ultimately bringing the curse of sin, which is death. Now again, we know this to be true for the hardened unbeliever. For the one who already rejects God and, and who suppresses the truth of his existence, choosing to serve and worship the creature rather than the creator, as the Apostle Paul reminds us and describes us so eloquently in, in Romans chapter 1. So hardened are they in their unbelief that God actually gives them over to a depraved mind where they wreak the havoc of sin's destruction, pouring sin upon sin upon sin. But remember, Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. He was a believer in the one true living God. And yet his heart was bent on sin. And so the warning here applies to us. Even to those who are redeemed in Christ. Indeed, as we all, if we were honest with ourselves, that we can know that there are times when we become so stubborn in our rebellion against God, and we pursue our own way of sin, instead of pursuing the truth of God in His way. And in doing so, we, like Jonah, live as hypocrites. Jonah told the sailors that he feared the Lord. And yet he also told them that he was actively freeing from the presence of the Lord. Indeed, we do the very same thing. When we profess the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and yet we live our lives pursuing the sinful pleasures of the world. Whether in secret, or even openly for all to see our hypocrisy. And if this pursuit of sin is the desire of our hearts, God may, for a time, give us over to it, giving us exactly what we want until everything around us is destroyed. Our life is a wreck. We're suffocating under sin's weight. We're drowning in trouble and sorrow. We're gasping for our last breath. What a terrifying condition to be in. And yet this is exactly where Jonah 
finds himself. The imagery Jonah recounts in his prayer emphasizes this. In verse 3, And the floods surrounded me, and your billows and your waves passed over me. It's like being at the beach and you, you get knocked down by, by a large wave and, and you can barely uh, get up before the next wave comes and, and knocks you down again. And then you try to get up and then the next wave comes and the next wave comes and it's relentless. And if it certainly weren't for uh, the, the sand of the beach underneath you, you would likely drown. It's relentless. Imagine then Jonah... There in the sea, having these waves billow over him relentlessly with the bottom of the sea likely several hundred feet below him. He was drowning. In verse 5 it continues, The waters surrounded me even to my soul. The deep closed around me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the moorings of the mountains. As he descends into the depths, he gets trapped in the weeds, which again act like chains holding him and dragging him down even further. Verse 6, the earth with its bars closed behind me. The imagery here is is of the lowest parts of the earth being a great fortress with, with iron gates, like a prison. And once those gates are closed, there's no going back. It's a picture of death. And it's terrifying. And Jonah is about to succumb to it. It's at that moment that Jonah does something he hadn't done before. He prays. In verse 7, When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord. And my prayer went up to you, into your holy temple. When Jonah, back in chapter 1, was awakened by the captain of the ship and told to pray to his God to seek deliverance from the storm, Jonah didn't pray. When Jonah realized that the entire crew of the ship was in great danger of losing their lives because of his sin, he did not pray. Jonah didn't even pray for his own soul as he knew the storm was because of him and the sailors were about to toss him into the sea into a watery grave. Jonah didn't pray. But now, suddenly, as the Lord has seemingly given Jonah exactly what he wants, as he's about to hit the bottom of the sea with his final breath at the last possible moment of consciousness, he remembers the Lord and he prays. Now what did Jonah remember? Well, he remembered, as he would testify later, chapter 4, verse 2, that God is a gracious and merciful God who's slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness. One who relents from doing harm. Jonah remembered the abounding grace and mercy of God toward undeserving sinners. He had already seen it at work when the Lord was merciful toward Israel and restored their borders despite their continued rebellion against Him. He had seen it. 
And he knew it. He knew God abounded with grace and mercy. And here at the bottom of the sea, he remembers it. Jonah also remembered the covenant promises of God. That he would never leave his people nor forsake him. That when they cried out to him in faith, that he would hear and respond. Here in in verse 4 and verse 7, Jonah mentions the temple in Jerusalem. And that his prayer had reached the Lord's presence there in the temple. Remember the temple was the symbolic uh, presence of the Lord dwelling in the midst of his people. And it's likely here that Jonah remembers the words that King Solomon spoke hundreds of years before at the dedication of the temple. 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon praying says, Whatever prayer, whatever supplication is made by anyone or by all your people Israel, when each one knows the plague of his own heart and spreads out his hands toward this temple, then hear in your heavenly dwelling place and forgive and act And give to everyone according to all his ways, whose heart you know, for you alone know the hearts of all the sons of men. Jonah remembered the promise of God to hear the prayers of his people. Jonah also likely remembered the Psalms, the the words of Psalm 139. Psalm 139 verse 7, Where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Jonah realized even there in the depths of the sea, or as he says in verse 2, the belly of Sheol, which is Sheol being the place of the dead, even hell itself, that Jonah realizes that there's no escaping the presence of the living God. And no matter how hard Jonah tried, he realizes that he was foolish to try to flee from God's presence. For even though it appeared as though Jonah got what he wanted, There at the bottom of the sea, seemingly free and as far from the presence of the Lord as he could possibly get, the Lord was there with Jonah. The Lord was there. And he heard Jonah's prayer. And he answered him in a most dramatic way at the very last possible moment before Jonah passed into the grips of death. Chapter 1, verse 17. Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The great fish was the Lord's answer to Jonah's prayer. The great fish was the means by which the Lord delivered Jonah from death and a watery grave. The great fish was the Lord's salvation... For Jonah, indeed, the great fish is often the only thing people know and remember about the story of Jonah. And the great fish is often really the highlight of of the children's storybooks. 
But the great fish is also a miracle that brings much speculation, criticism, doubt, and unfortunately causes many people to stumble. Because in the eyes of skeptics, the fact that a great fish, a sea creature, or a whale, or whatever it was, could swallow a man whole, it's impossible. And the fact that a swallowed man would even then survive in the belly of such a great beast for three days and three nights is just simply ridiculous and unbelievable. Now, Many will try to defend the scriptures account here. And ultimately they're seeking to defend the authority and inerrancy of the scriptures as a whole, which is a, certainly a good and noble thing to do. And they'll recount various stories told by sailors of the seas of men being swallowed by large fish or, or specifically sperm whales and only to be found a days later when these same sailors uh, have killed this beast, this whale, or this fish. But it's interesting, as one pastor has noted, it's interesting that the appearance of these accounts somewhat coincides in timing with the rise of biblical criticism by liberal scholars who denied the miracles of Scripture and called its authority into question. And so it's perhaps to their interesting stories, and maybe they're true, maybe they're not, but it's perhaps best to not put stock in these experiences that we don't really know if they're true or not. Indeed, we need to just let Scripture stand on its own defense against skeptical assaults because it simply comes down to this do you believe the scriptures to be the very word of god or don't you friends if your faith is shaken or even falls apart because god uh, the same god who created the heavens and the earth and everything in them in the space of six days the same God who brought a great flood on the earth as a judgment against man's sin. The same God who delivered His people from slavery in Egypt through many signs, wonders, and miracles and plagues by the hand of Moses. And then He parted the Red Sea so that they could cross on dry land. The same God who uh, used a shepherd boy with just a sling and a stone to bring down a great giant. And then later the same God that made that shepherd boy a great king of His people. Same God who worked many miracles through the prophets like Elijah and Elisha. The same God who sent His only begotten Son, the Lord Jesus, to live as a man among us, to be tempted and tried in all ways that we are yet without sin, to heal the sick, to heal the lame, to heal the blind, and to cast out demons. The same God who so demonstrated His love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for us. He died on the cross for our sins. The same God who then raised up this Jesus from the grave on the third day so that we might have the victory secured over Satan, sin, and death itself. The same God whose Son, Jesus 
will come again in power and glory on the last great day to judge the living and the dead. Friends, if your faith is shaken or falls apart because this very same God provided a great fish to save Jonah's life and kept him alive for three days and three nights, well then it's quite possible that your faith is simply a figment of your imagination and your faith is no true faith at all. Faith, so right to Hebrews tells us, is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. Faith is believing that the one true living God, the sovereign creator of heaven and earth, is the God of the impossible. And God did the impossible by saving Jonah with a great fish. No doubting is necessary. So what are we to glean then from this account of of Jonah? God's prophet tossed into the sea, descending the depths, and being then graciously saved by God through the appearance of this great fish. Why do we have this account in this book in the scriptures? Because Jonah is intended to be a sign. A sign for rebellious Israel of Jonah's time. Because Israel, like Jonah, was seeking to flee from the presence of the Lord as she pursued idolatry and gross immorality. She wanted to do her own thing. She was seeking after false gods and idols. Fleeing just as Jonah is fleeing. But Jonah is also a sign for the Jews during Jesus' day. Jesus himself declares this in Matthew 12, verse 39. He says that they were coming to him, asking him to to perform a sign or a miracle. And Jesus says, an evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. He's referring to that generation. They were even an adulterous generation. They seek after a sign. But he says, no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. And friends, Jonah is also a sign for us. In our own day, for the world around us, and even, even for the church. Jonah is a sign for all these in two key ways. First, a sign of warning. As we noted before, Jonah's descent into to the depths of the sea is a picture of the descent of the sinner deeper and deeper into their sin. And Jonah warns us of this downward plunge of sin and the destruction that it brings. Even the horror and terror of the ultimate curse of sin, which is death. And so Israel and the first century Jews and and we in our own age ought to take heed to the sign of this warning. Sin suffocates. Sin consumes. Sin destroys. Sin brings death. But just another word of caution. Lest we look to adopt Jonah's very poor example. See, Jonah knew God. Jonah knew God's character. He knew God's promises. He knew God was gracious. And yet Jonah stubbornly waited until the last possible moment to cry out to the Lord for help. Friends, do not be like Jonah. Indeed, today is the day of salvation. Don't be like Jonah and wait to the very end. Don't be like the fool who says that they're going to wait until they're on their deathbed to confess their sin and convert to Christ. Now it's true. 
that such conversions happen. And we, we think immediately of the, the thief on the cross. And yet the thief on the cross is saved because God is most gracious to save. He will save even in that very last hour as He did for Jonah, as He did for the thief on the cross. But friends, we ought not to put the Lord God to the test. And we ought not to think that the last hour or moment is guaranteed. Indeed, it's truly never too late to turn to Christ. Until it is. Now I knew such a fool. He knew the truth of the gospel. He knew the way of salvation in Christ alone. He knew right and wrong. And yet he foolishly boasted. That he was just going to go on and live his life as he saw fit. And that he would turn to Christ when he was old. And he was there lying on his deathbed. And sometime later. He was in an auto accident. And he got banged up pretty badly. Yet he lived. And I asked him. So as your life flashed before you. Did you think on Christ? Did you think about confessing your sins? And turning to him in faith and repentance? He said no. No, I didn't have time. He didn't have time. And sadly, several years later, very far short of old age, this man's sin caught up with him, consumed him, and took his life with no evidence of faith or hope in Christ Jesus. Friends, there's always time until there's not. Don't be a fool. Today is the day of salvation. And Jonah is a sign of this kind of warning. But Jonah is also a sign of hope. In many ways, Jonah's terrifying experience Continued even in the belly of the fish for for three days and three nights. Certainly was no picnic in that belly of the fish. And if Jonah's descent into the sea pictures death, well then the belly of the fish was kind of like his tomb. And it wouldn't be surprising that Jonah was initially unconscious after the fish swallowed him. And so imagined him waking up. And he's in the belly of this fish. It was dark, it was cold, it was wet, and yet pretty slimy, I'm sure. And yet he knew, he didn't know where he was. But he knew one thing. He was alive. He was alive, and he shouldn't have been. He should have been dead. Now there may have been some uncertainty about how long he'd be there. And maybe he was thinking, maybe he thought that this was just a, a brief extension of life for him. And certainly he could have been overwhelmed with gloom and pessimism. Yet as Jonah remembered the Lord and contemplated his descents into the depths, Jonah's heart soars with confidence, praise, and thanksgiving. Because he knows God. He knows God is a God abounding in grace and mercy. He knows God would allow him uh, to once again even see the temple in Jerusalem. 
He knows God saved him and would bring him up from the depths of the sea and from the very grip of death. And it's here that Jonah becomes a sign of hope of something greater to come. Even Jesus, the Son of God. Jesus who descended the depths of death when He offered Himself as the once for all perfect sacrifice for our sins and He died in our place on the cross. Death consumed and overtook Jesus. And it's something Lord willing will consider in more detail next time as we continue to look at Jonah's prayer. And Jonah, or Jesus was also placed in a tomb. And He remained there until the third day. Jesus refers to Jonah as a sign to the people of that generation. The sign of Jonah is that death would come to Jesus, the Son of Man, but God's mercy would prevail and life, new and resurrected life, would rise from the depths of death, removing its sting for all who trust in Christ. And because of Christ's victory, friends, if you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, Because of Christ's victory, you don't have to fear death. Because Jesus endured this horror for us and He removed its vicious sting. God delivered Jonah who sinned and who rebelled against Him. Because God was preparing in the fullness of time a Savior, even Jesus who had no sin and yet would endure the horrors of death for undeserving sinners like Jonah and like each and every one of us here. Only to be raised in power and glory so that we might have this sure and certain hope. The sure and certain hope of forgiveness, of salvation, and of eternal life in the glorious presence of our God and Savior. Hence, Jonah is a sign of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus alone, all to the praise and glory of God alone. Let's pray. Gracious God in heaven, we do praise you and thank you for your word. And we thank you for this reminder, for this sign of Jonah. The warning that is extended here To not be like Jonah. To not wait until the very last moment. We would be foolish to do so because we never know when that last moment will come. And when it comes, we will likely not have time. And so truly today is the day of salvation. Today should be the day that we call upon your name and faith. Turning away from our sins and turning to you. Looking to you for that salvation and the forgiveness and washing us and cleansing us. Even lifting us up out of the depths of sin and from the grips of death itself. And Father, we're reminded though that the only way that that's possible, the only way that we could be delivered from our sin is that someone would go in our place. And we praise you and thank you because Jonah is also a sign the sign of the hope that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the work that he accomplished for us in his life and his ministry and especially in his death and his resurrection 
That in Him we have life. In Him we have the forgiveness of sins. In Him we have peace and reconciliation with you once and for all. And even though we continue in sin, as we continue that battle against that remnant of the sin nature in us each and every day, we rely upon your grace, daily seeking forgiveness, that you would grant us victory, taking one day at a time over our sin, so that you would make us more and more holy, that you would form and fashion us more and more into the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until that time when the Lord Jesus returns and we're perfected in all glory and we stand there forever in the glory of your holy presence where there's fullness of joy. Father, we praise you and thank you for this sign of warning, this sign of hope. We thank you for all that Christ has done for us. And may you truly by your spirit impress these truths upon each and every one of our hearts, drawing us all closer to yourself, even now, all to the praise and glory of of your holy name. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.